Simon Blackburn is Professor of Philosophy at the University of Cambridge. In this section, the course author, Nigel Warburton, is talking to him about David Hume's theory of the self. What does Hume actually say about the self? Well, Hume, um, true to his empiricism, his um, belief that you've got to get back to the experiences, which are the foundation of your ideas, he asks what his experience of the self is, and he meets a blank. Um, He says whenever he looks into his own mind, he finds what he called a particular perception. That's an experience. But he doesn't find the self, which has the experience. He's got no idea of that. So I think if you want to sympathize with this, you might say, look, suppose you've got a pain in your toe. Um, You've got the experience of the pain. That's all right. You know you've got a pain. That's, as it were, the idea which is forced upon you by this painful toe. Um, But you know that it's you who's got the pain. Now, what's the idea that corresponds to the self, yourself being the subject here of the pain? And Hume says he can't find such an idea. When he looks into his mind, all he finds are things like visual experiences, sounds, flavours, experiences of pain. But he never finds, he never captures the subject of all these experiences. And this subject is very mysterious because it's the self and he can't find it. And traditional metaphysics, the rationalists in the century before Hume, had looked at this and had thought, well, the soul, you know, this is, this is mysterious. But they just sort of resolved the mystery in their own minds by thinking in terms of a soul as a different kind of substance, as something which is the bearer or owner of experience. Um, and then, of course, they started to fantasize and think perhaps the soul was necessarily immortal or unchangeable, this sort of thing. Well, Hume's having none of that. You can't draw on these fantasies as he thought of them. So he starts looking for the concept of the self. And he pretty much draws a blank, unfortunately. So here we've got Hume grappling with this idea. He's looking within himself, introspecting. Can't find a self. He doesn't get a direct experience of of a self. All he gets are these fleeting impressions going across a stage, as he puts it. That's right. It's as if you've got the, uh, the the fleeting actors on the stage. Those are the individual experiences which change throughout life. But you never have an experience of the stage. Uh, and that's the problem. So that's the problem. And if he's right, it is, it's a real problem because we all have a notion of the self, I think. So how does he go about looking for an answer? Well, he, he sometimes writes as though it would be OK if you could discover something unchanging in the panoply of experience. But that's what you can't do, so so that solution's out. Then he writes as if it would be okay if you could discover real connections between the different fleeting experiences. Um, But he's already in the treatise before this, one of his most famous contributions to philosophy, was to deny that there can be real connections as he calls it, between distinct occurrences. Um, It's as if we're condemned to a very pixelated view of reality. We get individual blobs of experience, but we never see what connects them together. We've no idea of that. But when people describe Hume's theory of the self, they often talk about it as a bundle theory. We've got all these distinct perceptions, as you describe them, pixelated out there, but there's something that binds them all together. We know there must be something. And so he hints at what might tie them together. 
Uh, yes. Well, he thinks that a real connection would be necessary to tie them together. Um, but he's basically got no materials from which to, as it were, manufacture the string. Um, I think he's, uh, he's, he, he realizes that in the appendix and, um, you know, makes a sort of despairing cry, says, I can't crack this one. So is that a bit like Derek Parfit's view of the self, where, he, where Parfit seems to suggest that all we have is this apparent continuity psychologically, but in many cases it doesn't make sense even to talk about will I be the same person in the future... Yes, I mean, Parfit is, uh, drew an awful lot from Hume. Um, Parfit then starts wondering whether a continuous self, that is, an overlapping set of resembling and continuing experiences, is as good as personal identity. Um, and that, I think, rather muddies the waters because it makes it sound like an ethical issue. So, for example, suppose my son resembles me very much. Um, well, it might be, at, if my son goes to Venice, it might be as good as me going to Venice, and I'm perfectly prepared to admit that. But it's not the same. If I go to Venice, it's going to be very different for me than if my son goes to Venice. So I think Parfit, in a sense, didn't, didn't actually, quite as firmly as Hume, rub his nose in the consequences of losing the self. So Hume is really talking about metaphysics and psychology here. Yes. Um, he's certainly talking about psychology. He's worried about this thought of the self. It's a treatise of human nature, and it's the inquiry concerning human understanding. So he's interested in how we think of the self, not, as it were, the, um, the ultimate ontology or um, nature of the self. Do you think this reveals that Hume's got it wrong in his basic empiricism, because he's assuming that in order to have an idea of the self, there must be some experience which gives rise to it. And somebody who's not committed to that empiricist project of linking all our ideas with prior experience won't have, won't have an issue here. But for him, it's almost a reductio ad absurdum. It's, this is the, clearly, we do have an idea of the self. We've got to that point. But his theory won't actually explain where it came from. Right. Yes, I mean, I think that is a is a is a worry, and it's um, it probably brings us beyond Hume to Kant. I think one of the few areas in which Kant does represent a distinct advance on Hume is over this notion of the self. Kant saw that the self was in in a way a much more structural notion than an empirical notion. So he thought that Hume was looking for it, I think, in the wrong place. Um, Kant is very insistent that there's an I think which accompanies all my representations, as he puts it. So it was a precondition of thinking. You can't have a thought unless there's an I think attached to it. Yes, that's right. That's, that's exactly how Kant thought of it. Um, I think Kant did uh, make an advance here. He did see the need for a structural awareness of um, your occupancy of a point of view in space, for example. Tell me what you mean by point of view, Yes, I, well, I like to illustrate this with the problem a programmer um, might face. Suppose he's got a little robot and it's got a camera or, on it and it can take sort of pictures of a space that it's in a room, let's say, with simple objects dotted about. And suppose you wanted to give you a readout of the geography of the room, for example, to draw a map of it, after it's moved about for a bit. Well, as it moves about, it gets more and more pixels. <laughs> um, unless it's got a way of 
representing its own position, which in effect is saying, I am here, I am now looking to the left, I am now looking to the right. It's not going to give you a printout, a readout of the geography of the room as it moves about it. And I think that's a nice way of seeing the structural requirement uh, for a self. The, the robot has to integrate its current perceptions with what's just happened, what it saw before, and try somehow to integrate the whole thing into a geography, which it's then occupying a point of view on. And that's a kind of construction of the notion of a self. It's a fairly thin self, but it's a self with a camera. <laughs> From what Hume said and from what Kant said, we're not going to get very far with this question, know thyself, because for Hume, you can't know the self because you look in there and there's nothing there. And for Kant, it's just a structural phenomenon. Yes, I think that's absolutely right, Nigel, yes. And when people talk about knowing themselves, um, basically they're knowing about their emotions or perceptions of the world around them. And if they stopped worrying about their self, they might do better. Thank you very much. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.